Hello, welcome to Embodied Astrology. Welcome back to this podcast. My name is Renee Sills. I'm the host of Embodied Astrology, and this is a podcast that began nine years ago, amazingly, in 2014, and it has had many iterations since it was born. Embodied Astrology started off as a podcast of guided meditations, somatic explorations based in astrology. It grew to include audio horoscopes and monthly overviews and forecasts. Uh, The monthly overviews were put on pause in 2020, and the horoscopes remained, and conversations and interviews with other folks somewhat about astrology, but about a lot of things too, uh, have been part of the podcast for the last couple of years. And a year ago, almost exactly, the audio horoscopes transitioned off of a larger podcast um, and entered a more exclusive space. So if you are tuning back in with Embodied Astrology on Spotify or iTunes or another distributor, and you used to listen to the horoscopes and you've wondered where they've gone, I just want to let you know that you can still get them. They are still available. Uh, They are just part of a membership now, and that membership is free or it's by donation. Thank you for your donations if you donate. It definitely supports this work, all of it. Um, And here we are in 2023, and this is the first of at least the next year um, of monthly overviews that I'm going to start trying again. I'm going to talk more about Aquarius season in a little bit and the significance of Aquarius season, especially with trying something new and definitely with beginnings that are beginnings again, um, circling back to something that uh, we may have been trying for some time. Um, But yeah, (laughs) here we are in 2023 and this is an Aquarius season episode And in this episode, I am going to give an overview for the uh, astrology of Aquarius season. That's January 20th through February 19th, 2023. I am going to, in that overview, offer some ideas about how we might personally be integrating this astrology. Uh, But before the overview, I will give my interpretation of how the current moment in astrology relates with a broader collective and political context. And before that, I'm actually going to tell you a little bit about myself because I don't often talk about myself on this podcast. And since the new version, I don't know where we're at now. It's definitely not 2.0. We might be at a 7.5 updated version of EA uh, is launching with this episode and you might not know that much about who you're listening to. I want to let you know about who I am, my background, my approach with astrology, uh, and some ideas that I'm working with around my practice in astrology, but also this particular episode. Um, so that you can know if you want to listen to this podcast uh, and if this is the right approach for you. So thank you for tuning in with Embodied Astrology. My name is Renee, 
And I am a second generation astrologer. I come from a lifetime background with this language. My mom was a classic <laughs> 1970s feminist hippie. I'm so proud of her. Um, she practiced astrology. She was an herbalist. She was a body worker. Later on in life, when I was a teenager, she went back to school and studied counseling and somatic therapy. And she raised me with all of this. And astrology has been incredibly influential in my life. And it's been a big part of how my mom raised me and many of the decisions she made in raising me and many of the decisions I've made for myself in raising myself uh, since then. I am a queer person. I identify as queer in the sense that I feel really expansive in relationship to sexuality and gender and I feel very skeptical of heteronormativity and monogamy and I feel very celebratory of people uh, who are trying to think outside of those confines and outside of the prescripted uh, gender roles and relational roles that uh, the heteropatriarchy perpetuates. I am an art kid. I've studied art and practiced art my whole life. I was a middle school dropout and an unschooler, a homeschooler. Um, I went to college for art and got a degree that sounded really cool at the time, <laughs> but now it sounds kind of dated. I have a BFA in Intermedia in Cyber Arts, um, and I have an MFA in Contemporary Art and Social Practice, which is a broad field, but to summarize it, it is a practice of relationship as art and working with art as a vehicle for people coming together. Um, it has a deep background in art and activism um, and community-based art. And I am a person who thinks about progressive politics and I often spiral between the micro and the macro. And I'm interested in a lot of things. And when I engage with astrology, I think about astrology as a generous, creative container and tool or technology that we can apply as a lens to many different areas of focus. I think probably any areas of focus could be expanded with an astrological lens. I think that it is an incredible ally in expanding consciousness and uh, gaining empathy and understanding for ourselves and for others. And I'm really interested in the potentials of astrology to help us through the times that we are in uh, with many of the problems that I think humanity is facing. Um, astrology, I think, can be very, very helpful in understanding a larger context, historic cycles, and again, how we might get along with one another and understand uh, each other and understand ourselves and one another better. Um, so let's give you just a little bit more background in relationship to astrology. I began this project in 2014, as I mentioned, and for those of you who are tracking transits, you might remember that 2014 was right in the middle of a series of very important aspects 
Uh, these were the aspects, the square aspects between Uranus and Aries and Pluto and Capricorn. And as a Leo rising, did I mention my big three? I'm a double Leo, sun and rising with a Taurus moon. So as a Leo rising, I have Aries in the ninth house. The ninth house is the place of publishing and dissemination of content like podcasts. And Capricorn is in my sixth house of jobs. And so it was during a time when there was a lot of dynamic creative activity between those two houses in my chart, um, but also an energy of Aries squared to Pluto. And this is an energy of the individual in relationship to the system. And one of my desires and longings uh, for myself at the time that this podcast began was to work for myself and to have employment that felt personally invigorating and meaningful uh, that I could also really decide the course of and infuse with my own interests and use it as a vehicle for furthering those interests. Um, I was also really interested in working online as a uh, one, one way, I think, to be more in control of my own schedule and to feel flexibility in regards to my location. Um, but Embodied Astrology began really as an art project. It began as an exploration uh, for myself that felt very fun and very playful, but it quickly became my job. And if any other Leo Risings are out there, I wonder if you have been in a similar situation, I think probably a lot of you have, of really struggling and being in a process with your job uh, since Pluto went into Capricorn in 2008. And Pluto's influence is to transform, and I think one of its potentials is to help us gain personal empowerment, but in order to arrive at empowerment, we have to work through a lot of the undersides or shadow sides of power and undo or unwind the ways that power can mutate and manipulate our beings. And so a lot of the process for me over the last 14 years uh, since Pluto entered Capricorn has been a process of learning about business and really struggling with having a business, uh, whether it's about money and dealing with money or taxes or the business structure and the bureaucratic hoops that people have to jump through in order to function as a business. Um, I've struggled a lot with issues around ownership and what it means to have a thing that in some ways is a brand, but also being someone who personally feels really cringe about branding and TMing, uh, but also being alive at a time when that's the thing that you're supposed to do, especially if you start your own thing, especially if you're trying to make money and survive in capitalism. And in this process, I've also become an employer and I've had to be a boss, which is nothing that I ever planned on doing. Um, and a lot of concern has uh, emerged for me there in terms of power dynamics and hierarchy and again, the ideas of ownership. Um, another struggle that I've really felt with this project is one of having a voice and having a platform. 
embodied astrology has been pretty well received. And part of the reason that I stopped the month ahead uh, forecasts or overviews in 2020 was because of personal anxiety that I was feeling when I would release the episodes. And for anywhere between 24 hours to a week after I would release an episode, I would feel incredibly anxious and how I would have a lot of insecurity coming up about nervousness around what I was saying, especially because I was talking about astrology in relationship to larger events and to social issues. And you remember 2020, uh, there was a lot that was going on. And for me in my own embodiment, as a white person, as a femme presenting person, as a person who lives in a body that is um, capable of uh, doing certain things at this point in my life, that my temporary ability is at a place where I can access um, uh, a lot of things in society. And I realized and have been realizing and in a process of realization um, around privilege and bias and my own ignorance. Um, and so having a podcast and having a platform started to feel really anxiety producing to me. And I've been in a place of deep questioning around how to occupy this space and whether or not I want to take up space or if I should. Um, and this process of Pluto and Capricorn moving through my sixth house has felt very much like an underworld excavation. I've had to look at a lot of uh, the inheritances, and that's a big word for both Pluto and Capricorn, um, that I have received. And those inheritances include inheritances of violence and white supremacy and uh, class and what it means to be a person who um, is able to access uh, certain aspects of societal privilege or advantage um, at a time when so many are unable and blocked from accessing uh, those advantages. And I've been learning a lot and I am still learning and <laughs> definitely in a process still of trying to understand uh, how I want to work with this platform and how I want to work with its social potentials and also its material potentials as something that is not just a podcast, but is now a membership and a business, uh, etc. So Embodied Astrology is a podcast, but it's also a member space and a virtual community. And the virtual community was launched almost exactly a year ago. Um, at the beginning of uh, 2022, after a year of building the infrastructure uh, in 2021. And Jupiter and Saturn formed a conjunction in the end of 2020, on the solstice actually of 2020. And this conjunction, some of you may remember, it's called the Great Conjunction, um, was a really important beginning of a 20-year cycle of um, influence in the air element 
And it's a notable conjunction as well. The Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions happen every 20 years, but they happen in signs of the same element for about 200 years. And so the conjunction in 2020 was also the uh, first uh, of, excuse me, the, the first conjunction of a series now um, that will take place primarily in the air signs or only in the air signs for the next 200 years. Um, so the air element has a lot to do with technology. It has a lot of associations to the exchange of information. And for me as a Leo rising, Aquarius rules my seventh house, and this is a place of relationship. Um, and this was the beginning for me of really trying to bring my sixth house experience. Again, the sixth house is a place of jobs into a seventh house experience. And the seventh house, especially with Aquarius there, uh, can be a place of relating with many different people. And embodied astrology currently is in a metamorphosis, um, I hope that over the next couple of years, it will become increasingly a place where many different people share their experiences with astrology and their ideas about astrology. And there is space and time and um, amplification for people to uh, make meaning of astrology and a space where more people can contribute and participate with a larger meaning making around what astrology is and can be. So if you're interested in learning more about embodied astrology, head on over to embodiedastrology.com. There is a vibrant and really fun community developing in the virtual space. Um, there are a lot of offerings there. There are free horoscopes, seasonal horoscopes that I make, and weekly classes that I'll begin teaching on February 20th that are embodied astrology classes. We will engage with the current astrology, the solar cycle and lunar phase and planetary passages through our bodies, uh, through the felt sense, through movement, through creative exploration, etc., and there's also regular programming, workshops and classes happening every month with a really incredible, uh, very diverse group of facilitators who are all approaching astrology from really different angles. And they are thinking about the application of astrology to different modalities, healing arts, therapeutic modalities, um, photography, writing, activism, eroticism and kink. Uh, people are thinking about astrology through a somatic felt sense and embodied exploration. And this is a place where I think a lot of experimentation can happen. And my hope is that it is a place that will spill out into the podcast uh, space as well. And over the next year or two years, um, this podcast will, will change. Yay, <laughs> more change. So where I am personally with astrology these days is I'm asking a lot of questions about collectivism and sharing power and co-authorship within astrology, meaning making in collaboration, and how we work with money, 
as a platform that can generate uh, some amount of revenue, but also can support people to learn astrology. EA is um, really grounded in an intention for financial accessibility. We offer sliding scale and scholarships to absolutely everything. And all of the facilitators are uh, paid really well. Um, we have a model that's been set up around uh, cooperative economics and is moving more and more in that direction. Um, so I'm really interested in astrology, again, as a technology that has the power and potential to help us build our consciousness and to help us work together and help us drop in with context for larger collective processes that might not be so readily available if we aren't thinking through some kind of symbolic context like astrology. And I'm really interested in astrology in application, astrology in synthesis with other modalities. On its own, it's brilliant, but when it's combined, um, it becomes so effective. I was having a conversation with a friend the other day, uh, and they were saying they really feel like it would do the world of therapy so much good if therapists had basic training in astrology, and I agree. Um, I think that this is such an amazing technology. So that, <laughs> that's my spiel. If you're interested in embodied astrology, please check out the website. And that also brings me up to date with here we are today. Uh, so I'm recording for you on January 22nd. It is a Sunday. It's the second day of Aquarius season. And it has been a process to get to this moment. As you might know, Mercury has been retrograde until a couple of days ago. Mars was retrograde until about a week and a half ago. Um, during this, these retrograde cycles, the calendar year changed and I was in one of the busiest times of year for me with the production of the 2023 year ahead readings, which was a huge undertaking. It was a lot of uh, absorption and metabolism of an enormous amount of astrological info. And then the um, effort of recording 12 readings at about two hours each. So getting to Aquarius season has felt a little bit like the last 50 yards of an uphill race and coming to this moment of recording this podcast um, is significant because this is the last part of Aquarius uh, season preparation for me as we move into this season. Your horoscopes have been recorded um, and here we go with this overview and I'm feeling nervous and I'm feeling excited and I'm feeling the challenge of starting a new thing and the awkwardness and frustration and strangeness of what's been happening in my sixth house with Mercury retrograde in Capricorn. And my brain has been a little bit foggy and I've been tired and there's been the pull of habit and history and a fear of failure and all that good Capricorn stuff. But here we are and it's Aquarius season and I am going to try to do something new. And this is an iteration. It's not entirely new, but it's a beginning again. 
And the theme of beginning again and the theme of iteration and repetition, I think, is important when we are considering Aquarius. Aquarius is a Saturn-ruled sign. Uh, traditionally, its modern ruler is Uranus. I'll be talking more about Aquarius in this episode for sure. Uh, but one of the things about Aquarius, particularly in its Saturnian function, has to do with the commitment and the dedication that it takes to do a thing and to evolve in a thing and to move uh, towards the future of the thing. To progress and change and evolve, of course, is to be part of life. Life is built on iteration and repetition and life keeps doing a new thing. And I think that this is a lot of what the symbol of Aquarius wants to talk to us about. So I'm going to get into an interpretation now of Aquarius season, uh, first through a little bit of a backward glance at where we're coming from astrologically. And again, I want to say that this is my interpretation. And as you listen, please listen with the full knowledge that I am biased and ignorant to a lot of things. I am not a journalist. I'm not an expert in politics, and I am not a historian. I am an astrologer, and you are free to take what works and leave the rest. And I also want to give a content warning that as I talk about astrology, and particularly as I uh, contextualize Aquarius season within the astrological uh, processes that we are coming through and living through. I'm going to be talking about police violence, global military violence, racism, violence against women, and queer people and trans people. Um, so know that as we're going into it and please care for yourself as you need to. So we enter into Aquarius season from Capricorn season and Capricorn as an energy is an energy that is extremely significant on Earth right now. Capricorn as an archetype rules the material structure of things as they have been built through history and over time, particularly through labor and through the shaping of the forces which are the most dominant. Pluto is currently in Capricorn, as I mentioned. Pluto entered Capricorn in 2008. And the effect of Pluto, which is an outer planet with an orbital period of about 250 years, um, the effect of Pluto is to break things down. And Pluto is related to uh, the deities of the underworld, to the realm of Hades. And in the underworld, um, beings go through processes of transformation and reckoning where ego needs to be uh, purified and clarified. And part of Pluto's medicine is to bring to the surface what is putrid, what is toxic, what winds us and binds us in uh, patterns of distress and abuse and gets us really locked up in our psychology. Um, Pluto's influences often resonate with amplification of violence. And when there are uh, Pluto transits, we often see the um, harsher, more destructive, and I would say monstrous uh, parts of especially humanity come forward. Um, I want to 
contextualize Pluto in Capricorn as well uh, with thinking about the previous Pluto in Capricorn cycles. Um, and again, Pluto has about a 250-year orbit around the Sun. And where it is right now in Capricorn is where it was in 1776 when the Declaration of Independence was drafted and signed and the United States became the incorporation that it is. Um, Pluto was also in Capricorn in the early 1500s when the Spanish Emperor Charles V issued a charter opening up the transatlantic slave trade uh, in order to expand labor forces in colonization projects that Europeans were undertaking uh, in the Americas. And of course, the theft and the appropriation and the genocide uh, against indigenous people. So Pluto and Capricorn as a cycle, I think is a cycle that asks us to pay attention to history and in particular to the impacts and the residue of these historic cycles that have not just uh, created, but actively continue to contribute to uh, many of the crises that we are facing right now, including the climate crisis, including the uh, economic crisis, including the ongoing um, expansion of a global war and uh, the industry of war. We're living at a time when almost 50 million people are still enslaved and in some form of modern slavery, whether that's forced labor or forced marriage um, or some kind of indentured servitude. And that number doesn't account for uh, migrant workers. That doesn't account for incarcerated people who are certainly enslaved and whose labor is absolutely not compensated and forced. Um, that number doesn't account for people who are getting extremely low wages for extremely challenging work. And this is a system that is perpetuated, of course, by a consolidation of wealth uh, by a very few. And those few people having uh, dominance and control over much of our infrastructure. So the Plutonian force of um, the shadowy side of power is a potential for transformation, but it is not a promise. And I think that it also is something that um, obviously, apparently plays out over time and evolves and spreads and has to be uh, understood as both a collective experience and a personal experience. Um, we can see Pluto as a force in Capricorn through uh, our current state of governance and policing or police violence and gun violence. We can see this force in the climate crisis, in the extractive violence against the earth of mining and uh, chemical warfare, in the imbalance and inequity between the global north and the global south as the north um, continues to plunder the global south for resources and the industry and effects uh, 
that result from this create the conditions and continue to create the conditions for climate crisis and a crisis of migration. We can see then the effects of Pluto and Capricorn in the increasingly militarized borders and the increasing extremism, racism, xenophobia, terrorism, violence, and military violence worldwide. Today, as I'm recording, uh, 10 people were shot in Monterey in California, and this is the 33rd mass shooting in 2023 in the United States so far. Last year in 2022, there were 648 mass shootings and over 20,000 people killed by guns and 40,000 people who committed suicide uh, with guns. And I think that it's worth noting that men or uh, cis men are responsible for 98% of these mass shootings and 73% of these mass shooters were white. Um, today, as Pluto is still in Capricorn, there is ongoing police violence. Capricorn is a sign that is associated with the police and associated with uh, military. And again, Pluto is associated with violence and the misuse of power. Um, police killed the highest number of people on record last year in 2022 uh, at uh, 1,176 people. Uh, that's what was reported. And that's an average of 33 people per day or 100 people per month. And of that number, only 31% of those killings involved an alleged violent crime or threat. And several of those killed were actively trying to de-escalate the situation while the police officers continued to escalate the assault. You know that within police violence, there are significant racial disparities. Black people were 24% of those who were killed last year while making up only 13% of the United States population. From 2013 to 2022, black people were three times more likely to be killed by United States police than white people. And the inequality is particularly severe in some cities like Minneapolis, where police have killed black residents at a rate of 28 times higher than white residents, or Chicago, where the rate was 25 times higher. There's ongoing violence uh, from police and from military all over the world and in the Americas uh, and North America against um, environmental and land defenders and protesters who are protecting the land. Uh, two environmental defenders were killed in Mexico last week. Just a couple days ago, on January 18th, police shot and killed a protester in the Wilani Forest who was fighting to defend Atlanta's uh, woods, the forested area, and stop a city project. Um, this is an area in the, in the south, in the state of Georgia, where the highest percentage of tree canopy of any major metropolitan area in America exists. And that canopy is a main factor in ensuring Atlanta's resiliency in the face of climate change. And Atlanta is a huge, sprawling city that really needs this green space. Uh, this is a space that is really, uh, I think, very complex in its history and troubled. In the 1800s, uh, shortly after the land was stolen from the Muscogee Creek peoples, it was used as a plantation. In the early 1900s, a prison farm was open where inmates were forced to perform unpaid agricultural labor, marking the rebranding of slavery into the for-profit prison labor. And the Atlanta Police Department currently uses uh, this sacred ground as a firing range. 
and is seeking to turn 300 acres of this forest into a tactical training compound featuring a mock city and 170 acres of this forest into an airport and the largest soundstage in America for Hollywood, which will of course make the cost of living in Atlanta uh, outrageous and inaccessible to a lot of the folks who live there currently. Police officers and local news agencies have been working together to control the flow of information, and there have been uh, news reports really amplifying, of course, the position of the police department and undercutting the position of the activists who have been uh, painted as terrorists. Um, but these activists were protecting and defending a natural resource, and there was not uh, uh, opportunity for public opinion to weigh in on the decimation of this forest. So I think that similarly with a lot of the confrontations uh, between police and uh, citizens, whether they are land defenders or water defenders or black folks or anybody just going along their lives um, who are met with police violence, I think it's really important for us to question the narrative that's being put out by corporate media sources and seek out direct press releases and narrative sharing from folks who are on the ground and those who are most directly impacted. Uh, if you want more information about this particular piece of news, I'm going to include some of the links in the show notes along with a call for support and call to action. So the day that this happened, the day that this uh, protester was shot and killed by the police was Wednesday, January 18th, and that was the day that the Sun in Capricorn formed a conjunction with Pluto. And Pluto is currently at the same degree point where it was when the United States Declaration of Independence was drafted and signed, and the United States is having its Pluto return. So while I want to repeat that I am no expert on politics, I'm not a historian, I'm not a journalist, uh, and I don't have a ton of information around these particular events. So if you are listening to me and you're feeling hot under the collar and you think, I don't have the information, that's fine. Um, but pay attention to the astrological aspects because Sun conjunct with Pluto brings consciousness and illumination to Pluto and energy to that aspect and it brings it into public awareness. And the energy of Pluto in Capricorn as we come to the Pluto return is highlighting the Pluto process in Capricorn, the misuse of power, the emergence of the underbelly of power, the construction of militarized necessity to maintain power by and for those who benefit from it. And as we move into Aquarius season, we are moving into uh, an energy and a sign that Pluto will soon enter. Pluto will enter Aquarius for the first time in over 250 years in just a couple of months in March of 2023. And Aquarius season begins with a new moon at the very first degree of Aquarius. And this new moon highlights the degree point where Pluto will rest over the course of its transit uh, in Aquarius this year. It will enter into Aquarius and then station retrograde a couple of, uh, about a month and a half later. 
And so Pluto's time in Aquarius in 2023 will just be at the first degree. Um, but whatever is emerging at this point, uh, I think that it's important for us to take note of. And the relationship between Capricorn and Aquarius is a very interesting relationship. Capricorn represents the material structure of our current reality, reality in air quotes there, because reality is formed uh, by our materials and the way that we all experience reality is very different depending on our material access and our embodied existence. And Aquarius as an air sign is the thought and the energy that runs through the material, but it is also the alternative and the future potentials that deviate from what is. And so while Capricorn is associated with the past and with history, Aquarius is associated with the future. And the movement from Capricorn into Aquarius often is the movement of revolt or rebellion or some kind of pushback against the forces of dominance that have shaped the structures of Capricorn. In order to get into this, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, rulers of Aquarius. And I mentioned a little bit uh, earlier, the rulership of Saturn with Aquarius as it has to do with iteration and repetition. So to move towards the future, to uh, move into a revolution, of course, takes some time. And the revolution that is underway has been underway for a really long time. And there have been iteration and waves of it for as long as uh, these cycles of Pluto and Capricorn that I spoke to in relationship to um, enslavement and environmental extraction and the forces of colonization, etc. Um, there have always been revolt processes in the works. The struggle has continued this entire time. And any of us who might feel ourselves sympathetic to that struggle or engaged in it now uh, are moving in unison and in stream with ancestors that have participated in waves of rebellion and waves of struggle uh, before us. So rebellion and revolution are two words that are very much associated with Aquarius and particularly with Aquarius's modern ruler Uranus. And while Saturn's energy is really needed, I think, for any kind of successful rebellion, because it is not easy uh, to evolve. Revolutions take time. They take generations sometimes. They take commitment. They take fortitude. Um, that's all Saturn. Uh, they also require awakening. And the rebellious spirit and the spirit of revolt is a spirit that is very much contained within the symbolism of Uranus. And Uranus is another outer planet. Its orbit around the sun is considerably shorter than Pluto's. It has an 84-year orbit around the sun. Um, and in this process of 84 years, it describes in some ways the potential of a human lifespan and the awakening that we might experience in our own lives uh, if we make it to 84, and maybe some of us will make it longer than that. 
um, to really experience change and consciousness and to have our worlds rocked a couple of times and maybe to get to a place uh, of a kind of inner evolution that Uranus, um, I think, can offer us. So Uranus has been in relationship with Pluto for quite some time. There was a conjunction of Uranus and Pluto in Virgo in the late 1960s, corresponding with uh, the uprisings of the civil rights movement and uh, women's liberation. There, of course, uh, was a recent square between Uranus and Aries and Pluto and Capricorn, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, between 2012 and 2015, Uranus squared Pluto seven times. There are a lot of transits that we could go over, but for the uh, purpose of this podcast, I'm just going to keep jumping from one thing to the next. Um, but I think it's notable to remember that in 2013, Black Lives Matter was founded um, as uh, the Ferguson uprisings were taking place. And I just want to take a moment here to honor Keenan Anderson, who is the cousin of BLM founder Patrice Cullors, um, who was killed by police just about two weeks ago. And Keenan was an English teacher and a father, uh, tased to death by police in Los Angeles. <sighs> so honoring him, honoring his life, honoring that he should be alive now and he should be with his children and honoring Patrice and her work and the work of many who have continued with the movement for Black Lives and uh, the movements that have uh, been birthed through the movement for Black Lives and continue uh, in the struggle against police violence and in the struggle against systemic racism and oppression. So the Uranian process, again, is the process of revolt. It is also a process of upheaval. It's when things uh, that needed to change haven't changed, and so they fall apart. Uranus left Aries and entered Taurus in 2018. It will remain in Taurus until 2026. Taurus is a sign of Earth's stability and fertility. It's a sign that is very much related to wealth and land and property and food. And since Uranus has entered Taurus, we have experienced supply chain shortages, economic upheaval, recession and inflation, uh, the effects of Pluto and Capricorn and Uranus and Taurus together, I think definitely describe the tipping point and climate crisis that we are in. And that also describes, or they also describe the movement of the people, the people being one of the symbols of Aquarius and therefore associated with Uranus. And again, the idea of awakening or uprising or revolt. Uh, over the last many years, there have been many uprisings. There continue to be. 
And currently, as I'm recording this podcast, there are ongoing uprisings in Iran, sparked by the killing of Masa Amini uh, last September by Iran's so-called morality police for allegedly not wearing her hijab properly. And since then, over 500 people have died and at least four have been executed by the regime. But the protests are not backing down. And this is a women-led movement. Over 100,000 people are protesting in Israel right now against the far-right court reform and ultra-Orthodox Zionist policies. There is an indigenous-led anti-government protest happening all over Peru. There are anti-government protests happening in China. And of course, there are the ongoing protests and movement against ultra-right-wing nationalists uh, here in the United States and also in Brazil. As Uranus continues its transit through Taurus, I think we will continue to see uh, the destabilization and upheaval of our resources and our freedoms. And I think we will also continue to see uprising and revolt led by the people. Um, I'll talk more about this in a second, but before I get to that, I want to bring in one more context, uh, one more outer planet context, which is the context of Neptune. Uh, Neptune is currently in the sign Pisces. It's been in Pisces since 2011. It will change signs uh, the same year, I believe, that Uranus changes signs in 2026. And uh, as Neptune moves into Aries and Uranus moves into Gemini, we are moving into phases um, for, with both of these planets and their cycles that have often corresponded with um, uprising, revolts, and wars. And while war has been a feature that has been continuous throughout human history, it feels to me that the wars that are being fought now and certainly the wars that are coming in the future really have to do with the uh, power held by a global elite and a global few and the ways that they seek to hold on to that power, particularly through um, ongoing distraction of violence and military violence and fabrication of reasons to go to war. And of course, then the chaos that the world is thrown into and the inability that people have to organize and uh, create futures for themselves because their lives are literally in danger and they have to uh, flee and survive in some way. And so this brings us back to the Neptune context and uh, Neptune in the sign of its rulership in Pisces really speaks to the dreams and the longings, as well as the hallucinations of a generation. Pisces is a symbol of dissolving and suffering and loss of self. It is also a symbol of the dream and bliss and the sensitivity of our interconnections and the potential of remembering oneness and the exquisite beauty of, uh, I think, the magic of our phenomenal world. Pisces is a sign of contagion as well, uh, and within medical astrology often is a sign that we can look to for um, illnesses spreading, and particularly strange illnesses and chronic illnesses. And Pisces uh, 
uh, and Capricorn are complementary signs to one another. They are both signs that elementally move down and in. They're earth and water signs. And Neptune and Pluto have been in a configuration with each other called a sextile since the 1940s, um, which I think is interesting for anyone who's looking at the development of war and military weaponry, especially uh, nuclear weaponry. Maybe that's a topic for another podcast another time. Um, but just as an aside, the Neptune-Pluto sextile will be ongoing um, through the 2040s. So this is a 100-year-long sextile of two outer planets, both of which definitely speak to a breakdown and dissolving, but also potential for transformation and creative regeneration. Um, in terms of our current astrology, I think Neptune and Pisces is certainly one of the places that we can look to for our pandemic, um, as well as for the uh, increasing amount of people experiencing long COVID and other forms of chronic illness that are the direct results of the Pluto and Capricorn effect of our environmental and structural breakdown, whether that is uh, chemical sensitivities or mold-related illness or stress-related illness and conditions in the body that are uh, ancestrally and historically anchored in terms of coming from lineages that experienced uh, lack of nutrition or chronic stress or chronic violence or something like that. Um, and I want to say that I feel that, especially in the context of Neptune, that as folks become increasingly sensitive and affected by our environment, there is a necessity to turn inwards and to ask into some of the deeper questions and spiritual potentials of our suffering. And my hope, at least, um, is that what this sextile will reveal uh, 20 years from now when it perfects is the transformation that is possible when enough people have become sensitized. And I hope that it doesn't require um, complete global destruction to uh, an inhabitable or almost inhabitable extent for a very few to realize that. I hope that we can uh, understand that sooner than later. So as I mentioned before, take what works and leave the rest. Um, I am not <laughs> a news anchor. I'm reading notes. Um, I've read a lot and my reading is limited and it's incomplete. And a lot of these topics are topics that I only know a little bit about on the surface. But as an astrologer, I'm really interested in how the global context gets um, shaped by the language of astrology. And the global context is important for all of us to consider because it is the backdrop for our lives. And if we're trying to understand how personal uh, astrology works or how we might read transits into our lives, especially if we're looking at the effect of the outer planets, then we need to be considering what's happening in the collective. And all of us are here and we are alive 
at this time of climate crisis and uh, global war and inflation and economic upheaval and um, the younger generations wondering whether or not there's going to be a future and the older generations wondering whether or not they will be able to be cared for uh, by the future and I think all of us wondering whether we'll have a future at all. So... Are you still here? Are you okay? That's some heavy shit. Um, let's take a breath and then let's come back and look at Aquarius season and some of its potentials. All right. I took a breath. I took a sip of tea. Let's talk about Aquarius season. Aquarius season begins on January 20th, and the next day, on the 21st, there is a new moon at the very first degree of Aquarius. This is a new moon that is on the same degree point as the great conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn in 2020. So I mentioned this a long time ago at the beginning of the podcast, but I want to bring it back in now. And you might want to think back in your own minds to uh, December of 2020 and what was happening for you then. And if you happen to know where the first degree of Aquarius lands in your chart, then definitely consider that degree as well. So this was a beginning of a 20-year and a 200-year cycle, as I mentioned, of what are called the chronocraters or the timekeepers in astrology. Jupiter and Saturn are positioned between the personal planets, Mercury, Venus, and Mars, and the transpersonal planets, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. So while the personal planets speak to us about our personalities and the ways that we are being affected day to day and week to week, the transpersonal planets speak to us about our long-term evolutionary growth processes and the ways that our generations and eras affect us and shape our lives. Jupiter and Saturn describe the ways that the personal and the transpersonal are bridged. And each of us, again, is alive at this time. And so the collective experience is going to shape our personal experiences. Whether or not we are thinking about it, um, we are pursuing the kinds of interests that we have in the ways that we can because of the time and the place that we are alive. We experience relationships in the context of relationships, uh, whether with ourselves or lovers or partners or family or society in general, um, differently depending on the time and the place that we are alive. So Jupiter and Saturn speak to us about the ways that we can make meaning out of our lives, that we can see the big picture for ourselves within the larger uh, collective unknown, the immensity of everything that's happening, um, and how we can find our place and feel our function and sense of purpose and what we will need to work towards and the ways that we will meet our challenges. Um, these two planets, when they come together, speak to social changes and the ways that the uh, mind of the collective or the social moment that we are living through is shifting. And so in December of 2020, a new idea began on Earth uh, for us in our collective experience, and it began at the first degree of Aquarius. As I said a moment ago, Aquarius relates with the people. 
And Aquarius speaks to the multidimensionality of the people and our diversity and our differences. It is a sign of biodiversity. And one of its many points of wisdom is that we need diversity to thrive. It is in our differences that creativity emerges. Aquarius's archetype is the water bearer, and some people get a little bit confused about that because uh, Aquarius is an air sign, and they wonder why is an air sign associated with the water bearer. Um, one of the ways that this makes sense to me is that Aquarius is related with connective tissues and conduits for information and thought. Um, Thought and language and words and ideas create consciousness, and consciousness infuses the materiality of our lives. Aquarius is consciousness. Capricorn is form. Form creates consciousness. Yeah, our thoughts and our ideas are very much shaped by the conditions of our lives, but consciousness also creates form. And as our consciousness evolves, the forms that we create shift and change. So as we move into a new cycle that is governed by air, we are moving into what some people might call the information age or the age of science. Uh, but other people might think of as the age of the people and potentially one of the great turnings of the ages, and this would be the transition uh, into the age of Aquarius, the Aquarian age. We are moving out of the age of Pisces, uh, represented very much by the symbol of the fish and spiritual, uh, I would say, worldviews that deeply, deeply shape our collective imaginations, um, particularly worldviews that are based on transcendence and separation between what is human and what is nature, or what is God and what is nature and what is human, um, and the idea of uh, some kind of divine existence that is not here, that we have to escape to get to. Those are some of the conditions I think of when I think of the Piscean age as an age of suffering and an age of disillusion. Uh, we're moving into the Aquarian age and different astrologers have different ideas about when it begins or what it will mean. Um, but this is an age that may or may not have begun yet. We might be in the beginning phases of it. And it will be a time when Aquarius and Aquarian uh, themes get expanded. And so I've named some of the themes are already in terms of the people and information and consciousness, other themes that revolve and evolve inside of Aquarius include technology and uh, the evolution and innovation of technology. So artificial intelligence and robotics and trips into space are big themes right now and probably going to be continuing themes in the age of Aquarius. I think one of our primary questions we'll be asking is what does it mean to be human? Uh, as we move into this age, as AI advances, and um, fairly soon we'll have artificial intelligence that looks and feels and seems like 
the human beings and the plants and animal beings that we uh, have known our whole lives as not artificial intelligence. Um, so what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be alive as human impact upon the earth becomes and continues to be the most devastating and uh, influential impact in the age of the Anthropocene um, and human technology then needs to innovate in order to regenerate what we have destroyed. What will it mean to be human? Uh, what will be the role of the people and will the people um, come together in order to save ourselves in this war against those who will seek to kill us and exploit us and extract uh, from our bodies and from our land? Uh, how will the people come together? Will we be able to work together across our many differences and our many languages? Will we be able to connect enough to our shared need and motivations to find uh, the bridges of continuity um, that can forge our connections. And so Aquarius as the water bearer is an archetype that uh, pours the lubricants for interaction into the human webs. And the lubricants for interaction include language and information and technology and the building of consciousness, uh, they also include resonance. And as a body worker and as a person who's interested in the body, I definitely think about Aquarius in relationship to our nervous systems and connective tissues and the ways that our uh, nervous systems extend out of our bodies um, and into our relationships. Our nervous systems develop in relationship to environment and uh, those and that which is contained within our environment. And our connective tissues hold the patterns of the past and they uh, wrap into relational habits and uh, entrained movement patterns that we mimic and uh, reflect for one another. So when I think about the age of Aquarius, I also think about the ways that we teach each other and how individuals can affect one another. And part of the reason for me to launch this podcast again, even though it makes me feel really nervous, and even though uh, maybe I would prefer not to in some ways, um, is because of the concern that I feel for the world right now. And I know that a lot of people are into astrology, and I think that uh, this might be a place where some people might find context that could be stabilizing, inspiring, and interesting for them and other people might find support or allyship, and that my voice as one tiny voice in the cacophony of uh, noise and voices that are out there might be a voice that could influence uh, someone. And even one more person who is paying attention to uh, revolt against oppression or the environment or thinking about the ways that they might participate in building coalitions or communal power or their creative capacity to feel their own voice in a different way, I think is worth it.
So as we move into Aquarius season, there is also a call for each of us as individuals to push against the constraints that we might feel within the status quo that would have us feeling like we shouldn't or couldn't use our voices or have us feeling like, what's even the point because the status quo is so oppressive and it will never change. And whether or not that may be true, I feel like we are here. We are here and we are alive for a temporary amount of time. Our lives are short and we are part of waves of resistance and ancestries and lineages and futures that will continue to uh, fight and work and play and come together for freedom. And this quest for actualization into our human potential is a quest that I feel deeply committed to. Um, and I hope that you do too. I hope this podcast helps, um, you know, just give you a high five and a pat on the back for any kind of uh, work that you might be doing in collaboration uh, with these aims. So this new moon that gets us going with Aquarius season is at the first degree of Aquarius, this site of new beginnings. And this gives this new moon a super packed, supercharged potential to help us remember what some of our new beginnings are and maybe engage with another iteration of them. Because every new beginning requires several attempts, if not an infinite amount of attempts. Every time we try to do something different than what we have before, not only do we have to try to do the new thing, we have to work against the pull of history. And the pull of the past is incredibly strong and it is really hard to change. If you have learned at all about uh, the formation of neural pathways, this is another Aquarian kind of topic, um, your neural pathways are developed as you learn something and as you uh, develop a, a habit or a pattern in some way. So you learn to walk and neural pathways are developed in your brain. And once a neural pathway is established, it's incredibly hard to move out of that pathway. And if you learn to walk in a certain way, uh, let's say that everybody in your family has a, a habit of locking their knees. And so maybe you have a genetic predisposition to locking your knees, but you also uh, see the way that your parents walk and your siblings walk and if everybody walks uh, in the same way and you learn to walk that way and then you get a knee injury and you end up going to a physical therapist and they're like okay you're locking your knees we got to teach you to not lock your knees um, it's such a simple action it's a very subtle adjustment in your physiology but it is so complex and it is so challenging because your muscles have trained and your connective tissues have shaped and your mind has mapped a certain kind of program uh, into that pattern. And in order to do a different thing, you have to concentrate and focus and do it again and train at it and do it again and then train some more. And then maybe someday in like five years, you're going to walk without locking your knees. And Anytime we move towards a new thing, 
whether that's in our personal lives or whether that's collectively or generationally. Um, we have to work iteratively and we have to work with dedication and commitment. This is the Saturnian function of Aquarius. But we also have to keep opening ourselves to the new idea. We can't get stuck on the way that it was. And so this is the Uranian function of Aquarius. How do we work consistently and iteratively without getting attached to the ways that we are working? Now, Pluto will enter Aquarius on March 23rd. It will only make it into the uh, first degree of Aquarius, and then it'll station retrograde in early May, and it will move back into Capricorn in early June, and it will retrograde all the way back to 27 degrees of Capricorn, which is uh, its natal place if we're looking at the birth chart of the United States as the Declaration of the Independence um, ceremony. And throughout this year, uh, the United States as a kind of proxy figure for what is also happening throughout the world, I think that um, in a lot of ways, the US is a microcosm of the macro when it comes to environmental issues and social issues and certainly as the nation with the largest military on earth and some of the most vested interests in uh, extraction of resources across the globe and one of the um, most major players in terms of uh, global economics and the uh, crisis of economies, uh, what's happening in the United States will affect the globe. And so Pluto's return to this natal placement is an opportunity for transformation, certainly, and a necessity for reckoning. And of course, the emergence of a lot of the um, more repressed aspects of the United States history that must be dealt with if we're going to move forward into the future. But Pluto's uh, lingering at the first degree of Aquarius this year also brings forward, I think, again, the emphasis of iteration and process and the necessity to really be in the process of trying to do the new thing. And the new moon that begins Aquarius season is a new moon that is asking us to feel into the future and also to feel into the past. It is a new moon that is highlighting the impulse to differentiate and rebel and free ourselves from the constraints of whatever the boxes are that we have been in and whatever the struggles have been to... Um, uh, get out from underneath the, the thumb of the past. But this is also a new moon that is very deeply enmeshed and entangled with the past. This is a new moon that is still very much conjunct to Pluto. Um, at the first degree of Aquarius, it's just a couple of degrees past the uh, solar conjunction that I mentioned was formed on the 18th of January. So as we move into Aquarius season, notice uh, what is shifting for you, but also notice the struggle of it. And in the ways that you feel the struggle in your personal life to do the new thing, question and inquire if these struggles uh, 
have any kind of relationship or resonance with the struggle that you might uh, find in a larger collective space or larger uh, social or cultural spaces. This is a new moon that is sextile to Jupiter. A sextile is a 60 degree aspect and this aspect is formed uh, typically with signs that are complementary to one another. I mentioned the Neptune-Pluto sextile a while back between Capricorn and Pisces and the sextile between Aquarius and Aries um, is a arrangement between two energies that are both moving up and out. The air and the fire elements are uh, ascending elements and spreading. They are two signs that are quite dynamic, um, <laughs> very opinionated and very charged though in very different ways. And this is an interesting sextile in that Aquarius is a symbol that represents the people and big groups of people and coalitions and organizations and movements. And Aries is a symbol that represents the individual, the self. And Jupiter as a planetary body, again, is one of the chronocrators, one of the timekeepers or the social planets. It speaks to the potential for understanding a bigger picture in our own personal lives. It asks us to grow in our consciousness and to learn. Uh, it offers opportunities for growth, oftentimes in the forms of what uh, energizes us or enthuses us. And so part of what we're working with with Jupiter, particularly when it is in Aries, is uh, ego potentials. And this is a uh, transit that asks us to feel into our own empowerment and feel into our personal strength. It asks us to develop healthy ego and a sense of self that helps us to be coherent. Um, but I think that in the sextile to the new moon in Aquarius, this is also an aspect that really reminds us that no individual exists alone. And as we move into Aquarius season, the sextile with Jupiter is illuminating a place in the zodiac called the Aries point. This is the uh, beginning of the sign Aries, and this is a point that resonates with the beginning of all of the cardinal signs, including Capricorn, Cancer, and Libra. These are turning points in the zodiacal wheel, pivot points where one season becomes the next, and these are points that correspond with the Earth's uh, journey around the sun in the quarterly markings of the year, the equinoxes and the solstices. So Jupiter is here as we enter uh, Aquarius season, and it is resonating with a point in the zodiacal wheel that is very much about new beginnings and new cycles starting. Jupiter has a 12-year orbit around the sun. You might think back uh, 12 years ago, the last time Jupiter was in Aries was in um, 2011. And Remember for yourself what was beginning then. Um, I taught a workshop a couple months ago on Jupiter in Aries called uh, Once We Were Dragons. And if you're interested in this cycle, you might want to check that out. Jupiter is conjunct with Juno, and this is really interesting um, because Jupiter and Juno, of course, are um, spouses in the mythic history. And one of the ways that I think about this combination is the um, dynamic 
and, and relationship between people with different genitals as we've been socialized into being very different kinds of people. Um, and there are a lot of ideas about the differences between so-called men and women um, that have been very firmly entrenched in our societal constructs and are very much a part of our current state of distress. And on the day that I'm recording, on January 22nd, there was also uh, marches all around the United States um, celebrating 50 years of Roe v. Wade, but also protesting against recent Supreme Court decisions to overturn abortion rights. As we move into Aquarius season, uh, Venus and Saturn are also coming into conjunction. And this conjunction perfected today as well on the 22nd. But that new moon was really resonating with this conjunction. Saturn, again, is the traditional ruler of Aquarius. And so we want to look to Saturn uh, to understand some of what this new moon is going to be about. And so Venus and Saturn and Jupiter and Juno together, to me, feel like a movement that is um, really being propelled in a lot of ways around the uh, fight for bodily sovereignty and not just the fight for uh a woman's right to choose or people with uteruses or birthing people's uh, right to choose if they uh, need an abortion, but also the rights and the values that would be more associated with the feminine. And when I say the feminine, I'm not necessarily talking about people who identify as femme or feminine, but actually as values that are more Venusian or related to Venus. And Venus as the planetary body associated with both Libra and Taurus would bring us to themes of uh, relationship and peace and prosperity and abundance and food and the basic needs of our bodies and the need to come together uh, in ways that support and uplift one another and that value each individual um, in, in what they need for their own bodies and terrestrial existence. Jupiter's conjunction with Juno uh, in the sign of Aries to me feels like it strengthens the individual will and asks each of us to orient towards our own unique ways of moving into action and into the battles. Uh, Aries is a sign often associated with the martial force or with the fighting spirit. So into the battles that resonate for us. And of course, each of us is going to approach our activism in different ways, but it feels like this is a new moon that is calling us to feel into the ways that we want to be active in our lives and what we want to take action for. Also today, the day that I'm recording, the planet Uranus, again, the modern ruler of Aquarius, is stationing direct. Uranus has been retrograde since the end of August last year. And the outer planets uh, usually spend several months retrogrades, so their retrogrades are less acute than uh, Mercury's or uh, the personal planet retrogrades, and I'll talk about Mercury retrograde in just a moment. But when the outer planets are retrograde, it gives us an opportunity to integrate some of their effects. Um, I mentioned that Uranus entered Taurus in 2018, and so you might consider where Taurus is in your chart and 
specifically where 15 degrees of Taurus is. So this is the very middle of the sign and this is where Uranus is stationing direct today. Uh, this is really significant because 15 degrees of Taurus is a degree point that is going to be activated all year in 2023. It's activated by numerous transits uh, as well as the retrogrades of Mercury and Jupiter. Uh, both planets will station retrograde at 15 degrees of Taurus. Mercury stations there April 22nd and Jupiter on September 5th and Jupiter, yes, will be entering Taurus uh, in a couple of months in May, um, amplifying the Uranian potential as Jupiter is known to do, to be a magnifier and one that helps uh, grow the influence of whatever it is touching. Um, so as Uranus is stationing direct at 15 degrees, it's stationing on a degree point that is loaded, that really um, is about to get supercharged throughout the year. And this is one of the reasons why I'm really paying attention to the news right now and why I find it uh, quite fascinating that today there is so much news about uprising and there's so much news about uh, revolt and the um, potentials and the struggles and uh, efforts of what I would say is progressive movement against the uh, imposition of uh, historic rule and oppressive rule and dictatorial or fascist rule. I think that uh, throughout this year, it's going to be a very interesting year for people-powered movements and progressive movements. I think that this degree point at 15 degrees Taurus is also one that really speaks to change and the fact that nothing is meant to stay the same. Everything that is built will change. And to have so much activity at this degree is certainly, to me, a forecast and a cue that this year is going to be a very interesting year. When we think back upon it, um, and it might feel a little wild uh, to be relating this year with the last three years and saying, you know, 2020, 2021, 2022... They were interesting times, but things really got interesting in 2023. So that might feel intense, but the feeling that I have is that the next couple of years and this year is going to be the kickoff party, but we are in for a ton of change. And these changes are going to be uh, climate motivated and economically motivated. They will be people-powered changes and uh, pushback and resistance. Um, so pay attention. Where is 15 degrees of Taurus in your chart and what is asking to be disrupted there? What needs innovation? What is ready for the next step? Are you rebelling against something? And I want to say that rebellion um, doesn't have to be out in the streets protesting. It certainly does not have to be militarized. Rebellion can be creative, it can be joyful, it can be uh, subtle, 
And it can be incredibly intentional and something that we really weave into all aspects of our lives. But I want to elevate that as a potential for Aquarius season and for 2023 as a whole, that this is a time to feel into your contribution to the revolution. I don't know what that means for you particularly, but if you look at the relationship between Aquarius and Taurus in your chart, um, you might find some clues about what needs to uh, be updated and where you are part of the updating project or process and where your personal feelings of limitation and the need to innovate uh, actually might contribute to the collective need in some way that is very unique and special to who you are and what you do. Y'all, I'm not even out of the first couple of days of Aquarius season and there's still some things I'm going to talk about. So um, Aquarius season really starts off with a blast. Mercury stations, uh, excuse me, Mercury stations direct just a couple of days before Aquarius season begins. The same day that the Sun-Pluto conjunction occurred on January 18th was the day that Mercury stationed direct. Mercury was uh, retrograde since the end of December. And any planetary retrograde includes what's called the retro shade or the retrograde shadow, which is the period of time that the planet is moving in direct motion in the same degree range that it will retrograde over. So Mercury's retro shade began December 12th and it ends on February 7th. So the first two weeks uh, of Aquarius season are fully contained within Mercury's shadow. So again, let's uh, call up the Capricorn process and think about where Capricorn is in your chart and what Pluto has been doing there. And again, Pluto's process is one of reckoning and transformation and uh, its potentials are many. So I started this podcast talking about the way that I've been working with Pluto and Capricorn and my personal or one of the ways that I've worked with Pluto and Capricorn has been through my personal relationship to the Capricorn themes of business and being a boss and relating with money and power and um, authority. And Pluto in this place for me has been asking me to pay attention to the shadow of these places and to work with my own shadow and to look at the ways that um, I have been taught that I need to own something, that I have been taught that I should brand or TM. And it's asked me to really feel into well, what does that feel like in my body? What happens when I um, come into ownership of something? And I've been asked through my own process to do some resolution work with that. And the resolution work is not done. And part of it for me has been owning my own power, um, owning my responsibility to working with power, and owning my uh, potential for transformation of power and the decisions that I've made uh, over the last 14 years to work differently with power. And it's been a struggle and it's not a perfect struggle and the outcome is not clear yet, but it's been a very uh, intense and 
I think, motivating focus for me. And that's my process with Pluto and Capricorn in the sixth house. And in the uh, collective process of the United States, we can think of Pluto and Capricorn uh, entering in 2008 and immediately we uh, move into a recession. And there is a lot of news about the recession being caused by uh, predatory lending, right? In these big banks, banks too big to fail. And then the United States government bails them out while uh, millions of people are stuck in poverty and unable to afford their own homes. And a housing crisis is blossoming. We have one crisis after the next revealing the failing and inadequacy and toxicity um, really steeped within the core of this nation and highlighting the misuse of power and the shadowy uh, components of what has been codified as law. The Declaration of Independence does not grant independence or freedom and liberty for all. It grants uh, extreme wealth and freedom and liberty for few. And um, you know the rest of the story. So what is Pluto and Capricorn doing for you? in your chart? Where are you engaging with some kind of disruption? How are you betraying whiteness or capitalism or uh, some kind of mind state that would seek to dominate and control? The way that you're doing it in your individual life might be inside of your marriage. It might be the way that you're parenting. It might be how you're thinking about um, bringing in curriculum to the third grade class that you teach. You might be going through your own process around disrupting uh, your gender identity. You might be going through your own process, uh, revolting against the academic institution where you are seeking a degree. How are you participating with this transformation? Mercury's retrograde um, over the course of the last couple of weeks as we move uh, from Capricorn into Aquarius season is asking you to continue this process. Mercury will have one more retrograde in Capricorn while Pluto is in Capricorn. Um, beginning at the end of the year in December, uh, Mercury will station retrograde at the same degree where it's stationed uh, direct on the 18th. So eight degrees of Capricorn, note it in your chart. Uh, Mercury station direct there on January 18th, and it will station retrograde at eight degrees of Capricorn on December 13th of 2023. And this will be the last Mercury retrograde in Capricorn while Pluto is in Capricorn. And my interpretation of this is that Mercury, as the planet of cognition, communication, but also as the shapeshifter and the one that uh, travels between the uh, underworlds and the worlds of the worlds of the dead and the worlds of the living, the lower and the uh, overworlds or the shadow and the light. Um, Mercury is our ally in transitions and transformations. And it's bringing cognition to what we are doing and it's helping us form language and it's building coherence and it's helping us put details together. 
So whatever long process of struggle and transformation that you're involved with that you might associate with Pluto and Capricorn, uh, think about it in relationship uh, to how Mercury's retrogrades are working. And remember the context of astrology in the ways that it is so generous, I think, to give us containers for time. And that whatever you might be working with transforming in your personal life, uh, this year is here to help you with it. And if you don't have it figured out immediately as we move into Aquarius season, don't worry. Pluto's going to be in Capricorn uh, through November of 2024. But whatever you are working with that you're associating with Pluto and Capricorn, definitely be thinking about this transition into Aquarius. Um, because as Pluto transitions this year, as it retrogrades back into Capricorn and then moves back into Aquarius next year, and it takes its sweet time, uh, all of us are in some kind of process of evolving uh, the struggle for transformation from the Capricorn into the Aquarius parts of our charts. So the first two weeks of Aquarius season, uh, we are in Mercury's retro shade. And while in the shadow, Mercury is going to aspect the North Node and Chiron and uh, the asteroid Pallas. It will form a trine to Uranus and it will sextile Neptune, all within these first two weeks of Aquarius season. So this is a lot of energy and a lot of assistance for this transformational process. And there is a huge emphasis and push in the first two weeks of Aquarius season to move from the old into the new. But I repeat, this process is fucking hard. It is so hard to do the new thing. And doing the new thing requires iteration and repetition and dedication and commitment. It's not something that you just wake up one day and decide to do something new. Some of you might. There might be circumstances where you wake up one day and decide to do something new and you never look back. But at least in the areas of your life that you might relate to the signs Capricorn and Aquarius, what you're trying to do new there isn't happening overnight. It's happening over the span of years. And these first two weeks of Aquarius season um, include a lot of the forces of history meeting with the forces of the future. And as we can see in our world, those meetings are, um, they are sensational. They are spectacular in the sense that they are a spectacle. There is high drama. There are uh, explosions. There is confrontation. There are arguments, there are conflicts. The forces of dominant power, the forces that have controlled the past, do not want to cede the future to the progressive momentum. And the progressive momentum of the people might just have enough power to do it. There are more of us who want peace than there are who want war. There are more of us who just want to live our damn lives and know that there is enough for everybody if we could learn to share than there are who want to hoard it and uh, enforce war and conflict upon the rest of us. That is my personal opinion. You are free to disagree. But I say as we move into Aquarius season, what 
is your revolution. Focus on that and focus on it with spaciousness and generosity. Remember that this is a long struggle and that within this struggle, you need to resource yourself and you need to resource yourself with pleasure. Uh, this is one of the, I think, biggest themes of Uranus and Taurus, the biggest supportive themes that I've resonated with, uh, with Uranus transit through Taurus. And Pleasure Activism, a great book, uh, edited and compiled by Adrienne Marie Brown, written, edited, and compiled, um, is, a, is a term. It's more than a book. Um, the book is great, but it's a term that I think a lot of us uh, are really resonating with. And a lot of folks are feeling that the uh, rebellion is going to be resourced by those of us who are resourcing ourselves. That it doesn't have to only be a struggle over resources, but that we can resource ourselves. And we do that when we attune with the pleasure of our bodies, when we slow down. Taurus is a sign that asks for reasonable pacing and it likes to linger. And the most reasonable pacing I think for Taurus is often to pause. Pause and smell the flowers. Pause and take a breath. Pause and appreciate the present moment. And the need to slow down and pause is a revolution. And it is a direct confrontation to the forces of capitalism that urge us to continue full tilt in the direction of our certain death in order to get some money, in order to survive in this hellscape. But when we pause and when we slow down, we might just realize that there are other people paused too. And a lot of us are asking the same questions. And when we get together, uh, we might realize that we have more similarities um, than we thought. We might also realize that our differences are not problems as much as they are places for healing to emerge and potentials for creative new directions to uh, get seeded and places where we might ideate and innovate and dream into the imagination of what is possible. So Uranus stationing direct right at uh, the beginning of Aquarius season also amplifies and strengthens some of the more pleasurable, beneficial uh, influences of this aspect. Embodiment. Yeah, embodiment is a term that since 2008 has spread like wildfire. Everybody's doing embodied something. Um, and this is such good news because we need to get into our bodies. And somatic intelligence is the intelligence of the natural world. And we, as human beings, are part of nature. We are not separate from it. And this consciousness and remembering of our uh, embeddedness within uh, life here on earth and our participation and responsibility to the vitality of life on earth is something that um, I think many humans have always known, uh, that some communities have continued to foster and, enc and encourage uh, remembrance of in indigenous ways of knowing. 
um, and in many places and for many people have been forgotten, but is now also being remembered, a word that actually means to bring ourselves back together, to bring our members back together. Um, and so as Uranus Stations Direct, also notice what gives you pleasure, what brings you into your body, what helps you to slow down, and what wisdom emerges from that place. Uranus and Saturn were uh, square to each other all of 2021 and um, in, in a very close square with each other throughout 2022. In 23, their square is beginning to um, separate, but the effects of it are still really strong, especially at the beginning of the year um, with this new moon. And part of the Uranus-Saturn square, I think, is the dynamic tension between Aquarius and Taurus, uh, the tension between Earth and technology, or uh, pleasure and information, or resources and uh, global trade. However you want to think about this square, um, is up to you, but some of the ways that you might think about it have to do with embodied intelligence, embodied consciousness, and how deeper relationship with body, with earth, with land, with the intelligence that emerges through our embeddedness and uh, somatic awareness might then influence our consciousness and influence our interconnections and actually shift and shape society differently. On February 5th, there is a full moon in Leo. Uh, Leo is another sign on the fixed cross. Taurus is part of the fixed cross, so is Aquarius, and the fourth sign on the cross is Scorpio. Um, so this full moon is at 16 degrees of Leo, and therefore it's the midpoint of a fixed sign, and so it is square to Uranus, and it triggers the midpoints and the uh, fixed signs throughout the cross. Later in the year, um, between, let's see, I think it's end of May, beginning of June, and... Um, end of September, beginning of October, so May through October, uh, the personal planets will pass through Leo, and Mercury, Venus, and Mars will all square Uranus and Taurus. And notably, Venus will uh, have a retrograde this year. Um, Venus is retrograde from, um, I got to look at my notes, from the end of July through the beginning of September. And uh, during this time, Venus will square Uranus uh, three times. So uh, once in its direct motion, um, in its retro shade, once while it's retrograde, and then again uh, when it turns direct. And this square with Uranus uh, repeatedly from the sign Leo also amplifies the fire element that I talked about with Aries um, in, in terms of individual expression. So all of the fire signs, Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius speak to personality and personality of the individual. 
And when we're working with Leo, we are working with drama. We are working with expression. We are also working with creativity and art and joy. And these are some of the uh, most terrifying elements to the status quo and to the regime. Uh, Art and creativity and joy are amazing tools for activists, and they are amazing places for rebellion and revolution to take place. And so as you think about your unique contributions to the cause, also think about where Leo is in your chart and what is your joy and what is your enthusiasm and what is your creativity and how do these parts of you get to be expressed in uh, the movement for a new future. So the full moon on February 5th is uh, square to Uranus in Taurus and a full moon is always in opposition. And so here we have the polarity between Leo and Aquarius getting lit up. This is a polarity that often amplifies the relationship of charismatic leaders, as we might see in Leo, to the people, uh, as we might see in Aquarius. It also amplifies the power of the individual uh, to become a um, gathering or organizing or cheerleading influence for the masses and the ways that we each as individuals participate in larger movements. So my sense is is that the next two weeks um, from new moon to full moon, and again I'm recording uh, the day after the new moon, my sense is these next two weeks are going to be quite dramatic and we will see a lot of uprising and we will also see a lot of creativity and uh, kinds of responses that really amplify the personal expression of individuals um, speaking up and pushing back against power. And I'm sure that we'll also see displays of power from some of our current charismatic leaders who um, in many ways are rallying people together and some of whom are um, really embodying some of the destructive sides of Leo. Donald Trump has a Leo rising and I think really um, gives us a great example of uh, (laughs) <laughs> the the part of Leo that can be very monstrous, very narcissistic, very self-absorbed, um, and incredibly dangerous when it comes to uh, the potential to activate and invigorate large groups of people. And I think we'll also certainly see uh, gestures of individuals really offering their heart. Leo rules the heart and their sincerity. Um, Leo leads with his heart um, when it's in its, I think, um, more positive possibilities uh, to help inspire others to uh, work together and move together in resistance and also towards evolutionary potentials. Now, throughout this time in these first two weeks, we also have the additional benefit and influence of Venus in Pisces. Venus enters Pisces on January 26th, and it will transit there uh, basically for all of Aquarius season after it enters Aries the first day of Pisces season. 
Venus is in its exaltation in Pisces. And so here we have the planet of love and relationship in a sign that loves to love and that doesn't even understand separation. And so when we're thinking about relationship, Pisces is the ultimate teacher in that everything is everything and we are never not relating. And so Venus loves to be in the sign because it can expand its love nature in many, many different directions. Um, my sense is that especially as we move towards the Leo full moon, this is a really supportive aspect for creativity, for imagination, and for dreaming. Um, a lot of the leaders who really inspire me right now are leaders who are speaking to the power of the imagination and the collective imagination. And many of these folks also uh, talk a lot about trauma and the effects of trauma to uh, stun us into a place of complacency or survival or fear and basically shut down our imaginations and shut down the parts of us that can imagine outside of the history and the um, quote-unquote realities that we already know. But part of what we can do, I think, when we really access the evolutionary potentials of Uranus in Taurus or Pluto in Aquarius is that we can come together and give each other circumstances and contexts in which we can access our imaginations, whether that's through art or through music or through collective rest or different ways that we might ideate and dream, whether we are receiving the creative authorings offerings of poets uh, or politicians. I think that there is a lot of encouragement uh, for us collectively to imagine in different ways right now. And as I tune in with Venus and Pisces, I'm definitely tuning in with this resonance. I'm also tuning in with the uh, sensitivity of our bodies, particularly as um, the influences of our environments and the misuse of resources becomes more and more apparent in issues of chronic conditions. And uh, my personal opinion is that the folks who are the first and the most influenced, the folks whose bodies are the most sensitive, are the folks who are the uh, teachers that we really need to be paying attention to. And so folks who are experiencing um, the first waves of long COVID, which I'm sure um, will grow in proportion over the next uh, several years, um, as a condition that really requires rest and that demands a different kind of um, structure and infrastructure and system in our societies so that we can care for one another as we experience the effects of um, debilitating conditions that affect our organs and our circulation and our brains. Um, these are the folks who are really delivering the information from the front lines as to what we need. And of course, many of these folks are folks who experience uh, intersections of oppression in their bodies in many different ways. And for various reasons, these are folks that I think uh, have a lot of knowledge that we might gain so much from giving time to and uh, listening to. And so Venus in Pisces also resonates for me as increasing sensitivity and the... Um, 
potentials for love and care and tenderness and empathy that emerge when we are sensitized. And if you have never experienced a particular kind of pain, and you know people who have, you might hear them talking about it and have some ability to imagine it. But once you have experienced that kind of pain, then you can really empathize. And then you have vested interest in preventing that kind of pain for yourself in the future, and maybe even for others. Venus will conjoin Neptune on February 15th. And one way to read this influence is as very romantic, very expansive, like, wow, this is like amazing feeling kind of aspect. And it certainly um, can produce those kinds of feelings. I will say with Neptune and Venus together, um, enjoy the moment, but don't expect it to last. Uh, but really enjoy the moment and remember it, you know, make a snapshot of it in your mind so you can remember it later as a potential if you are feeling that kind of blissed out uh, sense of love. Um, but Venus conjunct Neptune, I think, can also really amplify the love that we all have or many of us have for each other and for our planet and for uh, the oceans and the forests and the life forms that entirely create the conditions that allow us to be alive. And so we as beings that are absolutely part of Mother Earth um, rely on the oceans and the forests to breathe. And all wealth comes from the earth. And if we don't have this planet, we have nothing. So whatever might be happening in the next two weeks, it feels to me like a resonance and again, remembering of what um, some of our deeper values might be and a push to come together and to come back to ourselves, to come back to a remembering of what we really love and what our um, I biggest ideas and biggest dreams for the future might be and how we might include ourselves in those dreams. Mercury leaves its shadow on February 7th and two days later on the 10th, it will form a conjunction with Pluto in Capricorn. So whatever the projects are or whatever the ways are that you relate with the Pluto and Capricorn process, um, Mercury's shadow is again asking you to uh, work with it and work through it. And again, Mercury as a symbol of cognition and coherence is helping put the pieces and the details in place of your Pluto and Capricorn transformation. And by February 10th, you may have uh, gotten a significant download about what this transformation will require. And remember that by the end of the year, we're coming into the last Mercury retrograde in Capricorn. And so however you're relating with that process, um, there's significant um, movements in that process this year. And something is getting revealed in the next couple of weeks as we move towards the Mercury-Pluto connection about what needs to shift, what needs to change. Uh, the death force is a necessary force in the life force. And however you might be involved in uh, death energy in the Capricorn parts of your lives, like I might be 
really trying to kill the forces of capitalism as I feel them killing me and killing the planet. Like I might be trying to squash them in my own psyche. Um, I could think of that as like a positive death force. Um, how might you channel that force into whatever ways that you are personally seeking to transform with Pluto and Capricorn? And then Pluto enters Aquarius the next day on February 11th. It will transit there until March 2nd. And we have um, about a week of uh, Mercury making several interesting aspects, including its square with Uranus on the 15th, which is the same day that Venus conjuncts Neptune. And the next day, uh, the Sun and Saturn come together, and uh, the Sun-Saturn conjunction happens once per year. But this is a powerful point, as this is the last uh, Saturn Kazemi, um, Saturn moving into the heart of the Sun, uh, the last one that will occur while Saturn is in Aquarius, because Saturn will leave Aquarius and move into Pisces uh, in a couple of weeks in March. Um, and so this connection with the sun also brings a sense of culmination to the process of Saturn in Aquarius. And Saturn entered Aquarius in 2020. And so wherever Aquarius is in your chart has been a place that has been receiving the restructuring uh, process of Saturn. And in my experience, uh, when you work with Saturn, when you work skillfully with Saturn, you get a big serving of challenge and um, you have to work through your crankiness and your disappointment and your feeling of failure and sensations of restriction. You have to work through issues with authority. You have to work with uh, patterning that you received from authority figures in your life, including parental patterning and societal patterning. And if you really work through the challenges of all of that, then by the end of the transit, you have gained some wisdom and some capacity and some competency and adeptness in whatever it is that you are trying to figure out. And hopefully you are better set up in that part of your life to be response-able. And so wherever Saturn has been transiting for you, reflect back on the last three years or so of process and what this process has been asking you in terms of your own maturation and response-ability. And the Sun-Saturn connection on February 16th, again, is coming the day after the Venus-Neptune conjunction and Mercury's square with Uranus. And so this is also um, a period of time, these couple days, where it feels like there might be a lot emerging in a larger global context, and certainly a lot that is very present in each of us in our personal charts, especially in the realms of Aquarius and Pisces. The sun enters Pisces on February 19th and the next day, uh, excuse me, on the 18th and the next day on February 19th, we have a new moon at the first degree of Pisces and this is the day that Venus enters Aries. And as Venus enters Aries, it begins a pileup of planets coming into Aries. And by Aries season, we'll have uh, the personal planets. Um, I think Mercury, and, uh, Mercury will still be in Aries. Um, Venus might be out by that point, but we'll have the personal planets plus Jupiter plus Chiron plus uh, several asteroids all in Aries. And we will also experience the first eclipse in Aries, uh, the last day of Aries season. And um, my sense is that 
as Venus moves into Aries with the Pisces new moon, the Aries parts of our charts really start to heat up. And by Aries season, a lot of activity is happening there. But that's for another podcast episode, another time. Maybe we'll get there next month. Um, so to summarize all of this, I want to say that movements, uh, social movements and activist movements and evolutionary movements of the people, um, cultural movements, they renew again and again. They happen in repetition and iteration. And anything that we are working with now, we are working with uh, because of the diligence and the hard work and the struggle of uh, the ancestors who we uh, owe our lives to and whatever wisdom that we have to work with uh, that the ones before us have brought forward, then it is our job to continue and offer the next iterative potential to our future generations. Every generation has their own unique contributions to this process of liberation. And each one of us has arrived for this. Um, you may or may not think that you chose your life, but whether or not you chose it, you're here. And life is uh, a journey and there are no promises for perfect outcomes. And these are interesting times, as they say. So what is your contribution? And what do you want to make out of this life? What are your values? What are your joys? What do you want to offer to the future? This is a big question of Aquarius season. And Aquarius as the sign of the people and as a sign of the potential for consciousness as we come together across our differences, I think wants to remind us that the fight for liberation for any of us, uh, regardless of our embodiment and our social condition and our class status, etc., this fight is inherently tied to black liberation and indigenous sovereignty and climate justice. And we all have a part to play in these movements and these movements in their success will benefit every one of us and every life form on earth. So as you think into um, your own relationship with the current climate, what are the potentials in your chart to respond to the problems that you feel that you're facing? And how can you meet those potentials uh, with energy for what is new? How can you meet those potentials with awareness of historical context? Where are you struggling to move out of the old and into the new? And in that place, can you reach out uh, from inside your personal struggle and connect conceptually or uh, ideologically or maybe somatically or maybe literally <laughs> pick up the phone, find an organization or maybe physically? How do you connect with a larger collective current that is working in um, a, a similar and resonant aim? Where are you being disrupted and where are you uh, capable of disrupting something? How do you want to use your disruptive power? And how do you want to contribute to disruption in ways that might be creative and fertile for the future that you want to see? 
I'm going to give a plug right now for a, um, a series that I'll be teaching uh, beginning in March. It's five Tuesdays beginning on the vernal equinox on the first day of Aries season and ending April 19th, which is um, the last day of Aries season and also the day of the first eclipse in Aries. And we're moving into a two-year span of eclipses in Aries and Libra. Um, so I'll be co-teaching a uh, astrology and activism series with uh, my friend Carlin Bradley and Carlin is a tarot reader and a mystic and a witch they're also an activist and abolitionist organizer and astrology student and we are collaborating on a series where we're really going to feel into what are each of our unique potentials for being activists in our lives and how do we work through the language of astrology to really feel into the potential of personal empowerment and collective contribution. Um, so if you want more information on that series, you can find it on embodiedastrology.com. And while you're there, check out the calendar and programming throughout the year because the EA programming is fully curated to support you through astrology and to support you in ways that are creative and embodied and hopefully joyful and interesting and entertaining. Um, the opening ceremony for 2023 on January 7th was with Dr. Amber McZeal, who is a uh, depth psychologist and a somatic therapist. She's also a sound healer and she uh, works in the tradition of Ifa and does a lot of interesting combination or synthesis and weaving together of uh, archetypal uh, energies. And she talked, um, she's an astrology student as well. And she gave such a beautiful ceremony, really helping us understand um, a lot of what I've talked about in this episode, but Amber's presentation was um, so skillful and <laughs> really dialed in, and you should listen to it. She talked about uh, Pluto and Capricorn and Uranus and Taurus at length and really helped us to feel into these influences in their historic context, but also to feel into the ways that we can engage with these archetypal energies as we move into the future. And that uh, opening ritual is an amazing space, I think, to touch in with throughout this year. Um, it is maybe not timeless forever, but certainly it is timely for right now. And uh, its effectiveness or um, uh, timeliness will not expire in 2023. I promise you that. Um, so if you're interested in tuning in with Amber, that session is called Reenchantment and Restoration, Visions for the Future. And I highly recommend it. And if you uh, find yourself like me at times feeling depressed and overwhelmed about the state of the world right now and maybe feeling futile or hopeless, um, please listen to that. Please tune in with it. It is so grounding and empowering and it is not fluffy and it <laughs> it's um, deeply spiritual and it, but not bypassing. And I felt for myself that... Um, it really helped me contextualize certain aspects of my own life and where things are right now. I also want to give a shout out to Janata Petrus, who's beginning uh, her series with Embodied Astrology on the Pisces New Moon on February 19th. Janata is a celebrated 
playwright and author. Um, she's written multiple books and plays. She is an absolute delight, and she's teaching a four-part series on mutable magic for the creative process with astrology. And throughout this year, in the mutable seasons, so we have Pisces, Gemini, Virgo, and Sagittarius, um, either on the new moons or very close to the new moon, on Sundays, uh, Janata will have a, a, a creative astrology space where she will work with the astrological season and sign to help us tune in with our creative practices. And so if you have any kind of creative project, whether that's writing or art or performance making, or I don't know what kind of creative um, goodness you get up to. Maybe you're a gardener, maybe you're a mathematician, maybe you're an engineer. There's so many ways that people experience their creativity. This would be an amazing place to um, get community around that, get some astrological support, and also get some accountability because she's going to guide us in a process of development throughout the year. The next day on February 20th, I will be starting a Monday series and every Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific time, um, I'm going to hold space in the virtual for some somatic exploration and embodied practice with astrology. Um, this is a space that is not a lot of thinking about astrology, uh, but a lot of feeling and moving with it. So we will be working with the solar season. Uh, we begin with Pisces season and the lunar cycles and planetary passages. And we're going to be exploring all of them through creative and adaptive and accessible movements. So all levels of body ability are welcome. And um, again, this is more of uh, experimental space and all levels of astrology uh, know-how are absolutely welcome. So we're just going to play with astrology through our bodies. Throughout this year, there are so many offerings in the embodied astrology space. Uh, as I mentioned, there are facilitators weaving astrology together with art, with activism, with healing practices, with therapeutic approaches. Um, I'm really excited about a monthly series that's going to be led by Indira Allegra. Indira taught a workshop last year in Scorpio season on astrology and kink, and they looked at the asteroid Vesta as a place where we might connect with uh, devotional practices and fire tending, keeping the heat alive. And throughout 2023, they'll be holding spaces for astrology and kink study groups and uh, still working with the energy of Vesta and thinking about kink and eroticism as devotional practices. Um, their series is called Beyond Domination. And they're exploring um, ways that we might work through uh, shame, insecurities, uh, unwinding some of our inhibitions, connecting with pleasure, connecting with desire, and again, using astrology as a container to uh, help us expand these ideas so check out the Embodied Astrology calendar. There's lots coming up. There are several member levels that you might be interested in. And for anyone who is interested in becoming an all-access member to what's called the Synthesis Space, um, if you sign up or upgrade in the next two months, um, you will get lifetime access to my Embodied Astrology Foundations course. 
your chart is a body. That's a $350 value. It will also get you access to special chart work series that are only available to folks who are enrolled in that course. So how are you doing? Are you still here? <laughs> are you still listening? Um, if this kind of astrology resonates for you, you can also find your horoscopes, your month ahead horoscopes and readings uh, at embodiedastrology.com. And those are readings that I offer at the beginning of each new zodiac season. And they are offered by donation. So check them out. All right. Well, I hope that any or all of that was interesting. I hope that you have some ideas now to bring into your own work with your natal chart and into your conversations with friends. I'm always interested and open to feedback. And if you want to send me some, you can find a contact form on my website. Um, check the show notes for links to some of the news items that I was sharing and also for links to the Embodied Astrology offerings. I am wishing you all the best in Aquarius season and beyond. Thanks so much for tuning in. Bye for now.